Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm the 2022 Australian Master Ken Ferris. Happy to be talking to you guys today. And I'm Matt Croger. Happy New Year, listeners, and welcome to my first episode of 2023 as I sit down on what is New Year's Day or New Year's Night, I could say, with the current Australian Master Ken Ferris. Thanks for joining me, Ken. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, I could be wrong, but I, well, when I was writing this, I thought we hadn't on the show, hadn't had you on the show before. That, but then I had an inkling that maybe you'd cameoed once before. Yeah, I think I did a, a small section a couple of years ago talking about maybe Clash on Masters. I think there was three of us on, or it was maybe talking about different different scenes. There was someone from YouTube and stuff. Yeah, I think you're right, but it's it's uh, it's long enough ago that we we should get the, the listeners to reacquaint themselves with with you. Um, I'm just going to apologise to the listeners too because I was saying to Ken as as I was logging on to to Streamyard, I snapped the cable on my microphone, so I'm recording through my AirPods. So if the quality's not so good, I'm sorry about that. Um, but Ken, why don't you tell us well, what your gaming origin story um, was? How you got into gaming? What you played? that kind of thing over the years. Sure. my I think my story is probably similar to a lot of people. I had you know a couple of mates walking through the, the shopping centre back in the late 90s um, when I was a young and fancy-free teenager and saw Warhammer, I think it was 4th edition, and thought, well, that's awesome, grabbed my brother and went back to the shop and got the box set with him. So I've got a younger brother, 18 months younger than me, Evan, and my brother and I are very different in many ways, but we're both pretty nerdy when it comes to this sort of stuff, and this is the thing that's Mm -hmm. kind of kept us connected for a a very long time. So we started playing, and then the the mates from school dropped off, but one of those guys said, oh, my cousins are playing um, as well, and that was how I met the Galeas, and we were playing fourth edition Warhammer and they the Galeas were like, let's go to a tournament. So our first ever tournament was CanCon with 60-odd players in the year 2000 and that was it. I was addicted, <laughs> as many of us were, and thus beginneth losing my Australia Day long weekend for the last 23 years and <laughs> having played pretty, I wouldn't say consistently. There's been some on times where I played a lot, particularly through uni, when I should have been studying, and then some off times, obviously around marriage and children and that that sort of stuff. But I've tried to stay in the scene. So I played Warhammer up until the eighth edition, when a lot of people left. Uh, I know more people left when it sort of all blew up after that as well. But I, I was one of the earlier people, the guys I was playing with, you know, the Galeas, Lockie, Tracy, all those guys not happy with the new game, went to War Machine and Hordes, um, enjoyed that. That was around the time of children, and that game just exponentially grew without an index, and it became a huge gotcha game, and so I hadn't played for a good six-plus months, went and played a, a little one-day tournament and 
just got absolutely belted because I didn't even know what the rules were of the the other yeah, armies yeah. I was playing. And this is this is dumb. And many of the and many of the other guys are the same. And then not long after that is when we came across Kings of War. So I love Kings of War because again, I, unlike many of the other rage quitters, I didn't sell any of my armies. I kept all my models and. This was a game system that said, use all your stuff, just play our game and enjoy it and have fun. And, yeah, I, I'd, I'd have to say I've, I love Kings of War. I think it's an excellent system. The, you know, people bitch and moan a bit on, online about, you know, balance and units and that sort of stuff. And I, I kind of sit there and go, yes, you know, we should always strive to be as excellent as we can be, but holy moly, is this game far better written and far better suited than some of those things we played back in the day. Um they were ridiculous. So yeah, I've I've been playing fantasy games in Australia for the last probably twenty four years, and I'm not someone who plays multiple game systems. I've really only ever played the one game at a time. You know, a tiny bit of Blood Bowl and Necromunda back when I was again you know twenty odd years old. But it's pretty much been Warhammer, then War Machine and Hordes, and then Kings of War from there. Yeah, and so uh, like a, a pretty uh, pretty good and competitive gaming group there. I mean. Uh, for those that don't, I mean, I think there'll be people who uh, know know the Galeas, but not necessarily by name, but by their board game judgment, or yep. sorry, their miniature game, I should say, board game, yes. no, not quite accurate, miniature mm-hmm. game, and because, of course, they uh, did a partnership with CreatureCaster too, so got got a little bit of worldwide coverage there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's plenty of... Uh, plenty of gaming now in that group, Ken. Yeah, it was uh, just by by chance being with passionate people. So, um, you know, fell in with, with the Galeas and Ev, Ev did a lot of stuff, I think, at the start of Judgment before he, you know, decided to focus on his job. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, they were just very passionate about this stuff. I didn't sort of have the time back when they were really doing a lot in the scene, that was, you know, through uni and, that kind of stuff. Jeff Galee, uh, sorry, Jeff Trace. Most you know, most people who know me know that Trace is one of my closest friends through gaming. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm probably more his secretary than his friend. Uh, <laughs> where we go and booking the accommodation and doing all that kind yeah. of stuff. That's all good. And um, yeah, it's funny. I, I I go to tournaments and I, I do pretty decently, and I, I you know. I, try to win and do my best and all that kind of stuff. And people don't believe me when I say I lose far more games than I win, but my regular game is Tracy and he beats me the vast majority of the time. So, yeah, yeah, I go to tournaments and, yeah, I go, oh, wow, geez, I've got a couple of wins there. This is going all right. (laughs) People kind of don't believe me when I say that. But, um, yeah, that's my normal experience because um, my my normal game is generally a very good competitive game and it it helps because – because I don't get to play very often, it helps that my my games are generally pretty tough. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting, like you say, with that conversion from War Machine and going back, and you know, it really was just rewarding people with time, wasn't it? That had time to understand everything, and you know, the inclination to do that. And I've been I've been rereading because there's a quite a large local group, and I thought I could occasionally play socially with um, an old elf army of Warhammer Six, and yeah. even like. The rule set for that is, I mean, when I look at it, is is not is not at face value too bloated. But then I go to write a list, and I'm just like, you know what? I just love King's list writing yeah. so much more now for where I am in my life. <laughs> you know, for- it's funny the Warhammer, 
I've talked about this with a, a few of the guys that from the, the old day, Andrew Goodman came up with this analogy. Warhammer's like your first girlfriend and she treated mm. you badly, but you didn't know any better and you kept going back to it. And even though you know it was toxic, you still look back at it fondly. And, uh, and that, that is Warhammer to a T. Um, and, you, you know, you see the models and some of the stuff GW put out, and, I mean, they're, they're spectacular. And you just go, oh, wow, that looks beautiful. But then, you, you know, you start looking at the rule systems and the power creep and you just go, oh, my God, why, why, why would I do that to myself? We have this beautiful game that, you know, stays pretty balanced and pretty fair and everything is good, like, you know, people often, you know, they'll look at a Tracy list and go, well, this this is ridiculous, and then he just comes up with it because everything is good. Um, yeah. Everything can be used. There's very few things that are truly terrible. And so tell us about, so you, you mentioned that, that prior to Kings, you were actually in War Machine and, and being a one-game player. Did it take much to get you in, or was it like was it like just one foot and it, it was boots and all after that? And then, and then talk to us about how you then picked up and how long after running the Australian the Australian Masters. Okay. The introduction was easy because I won for Kings of War. I had the armies already. So, I, you know, I could use all my hammer models, which which was great. I just had to learn the rules and, yeah, they, they weren't too hard to learn. It wasn't too hard to get in. And for me, it was mainly around I wanted to play with the guys I was gaming with. Um, they had jumped game a couple of times. Like when they jumped to War Machine or Hordes, I didn't want to. Because I was like, oh, look, I know this. I know the new edition's not as good, but I just I don't want to learn something new. And then I was reluctant to leave War Machine or Hordes. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. I bought a new army. I don't want to do this. But And, yeah, I haven't. A couple of guys have left. Uh, like my brother doesn't really play Kings of War anymore or anything. But I've I've just said, no, this game's, this game's for me. I'm not I'm not going to leave this one. But it wasn't, it wasn't hard to get in because that's what the guys were playing. Um, I wanted to. I wanted to play with them. They've, you know, they've been friends of mine now for a very, very long time, and I, I wanted to keep that going. So, jumping in was was pretty easy. The rules were straightforward. I, I like that Kings War has gotten a bit more complicated. The, the list building and options were pretty simple at the start of that second edition when most of the the Warhammer refugees came along. Um, so that and that complexity is definitely a good thing. But it's it's not too complex a game to teach a new person to play. Um, you know, generally the concept's pretty simple. You know, get in the flank, get in the rear, smash stuff. <laughs> the, you know, basic tactics are not too hard. So, but yeah, coming back to your question, it, it wasn't wasn't too hard to jump in because it did everything that I felt a fantasy game should do. Big rank and flanks, have some monsters in there. The infantry actually kind of wins the game. The, so I think those of us that came from War Machine and Hordes as opposed to when Warhammer died completely had an advantage because War Machine or Hordes is a scenario game and this is a scenario game and a lot of people play kill and get beat and they don't quite understand why. Um, you know, the reason Tracy is such a dominant player is because he plays the scenario and he plays the scenario better than everybody else. Yeah, 100% I agree. And I think that's obvious when you, you know, lots of people in the world haven't had a chance to play him, but he's, he's well, it, it's not quite accurate to say he's not even looking at your army, but... You know, what, what he's doing with his from the very start of the game is all about, you know, what's going to stop me winning this scenario and how do I win it? Yep, absolutely. And that's that's definitely, a I think, a War Machine or Hordes, I guess, advantage that we we came in as opposed to the people coming from Warhammer. And you know, I find when I play Tracy, he's always got one extra unit. I'm like, he goes here, I go here, he does this, here, I do that, I do that, I do that, and he goes there. Damn it. All right, 
I go there, he goes there, I go there, he goes, damn it. Like he's always got that one extra unit, that one extra unit strength, that one extra scenario point. And then the moment you realize that and suddenly start to frantically go, shit, how do I fix this? That's when you get blackjacked. Yeah, well, and what, yeah, I was, it's interesting that you say blackjack because, um, what compounds that with the scenario play, right, is you get rewarded for winning it even better if you use something like blackjack or northern kings or something like that. So, you know, if you struggle to play scenario already, well, then you're punished a little bit more by some of the scoring systems. Yeah. And so what about, what about with the masters? Like, how long have you been playing before you went, Oh, the masters is a thing that, you know, this team needs? Yeah. So I'd, I'd, been in the background kind of helping out with the um the Warhammer Masters back in back in the day a long time ago. And I guess it's that I don't know, maybe this sounds ridiculous. It's that idea of giving back to the community and wanting to contribute. And I I knew how to run it. No one was running it. Um it, it is a lot of work to to put together. And it was something that I kind of realized there was a gap for and was happy to do. So yeah, I, I put it out there. I'd say to anybody who wants to run the Masters, don't expect popularity and approval when you do so. <laughs> um, the amount of, I'll say, not even shit, abuse that I copped for putting the Masters in place in this game system was pretty um, unappealing. <laughs> I might be yeah, the right. politest to put it. Yeah. At the time, I think the community's adjusted to the idea now, long term, but you know, people were not very happy, and I still cop a bit of crap for it every now and then. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a, a good thing for the community, and as, as long as it's you know, it's it's not taken too seriously. Like we're playing toy soldiers here, so you know, if mm-hmm. you're prepared to sit there and hold the trophy and say I'm the best toy soldier player in the country at this toy soldier game, well <laughs> then you know, there's no dramas with with it at all um and you know i i i struggle sometimes with people's perception of a, of a master's player like this idea that we're super competitive and win at all costs and you know anyone who's ever played a game with tracy ag the team shed guys any of that sort of stuff it's just not how it's just not how they play um at, at all but yeah, I got I got into it because I had that knowledge on how how to run it. No one was doing it at the time. It was a way of giving back um, to the community and putting something in place. And then for me, then the struggle was I, I wanted it to be an, a national thing and to kind of reward the different regions. So not just be in Sydney every year, that's where I live, but to actually move around from Sydney to Melbourne to Brisbane to Canberra. That's the you know the four main centres and. Mm-hmm trying to organize a tournament in a city you don't live in is really, really hard to do. So I've had to corral many a favor of people such as yourself when I ran it in Canberra um, to try to make these events work. It's, it's you know, not necessarily an easy thing to do, let alone the, you know, the, the kind of our rankings date finishes on the 30th of October and we want to run it in early December. That's not a lot of time to get people who want to play there confirm, book the flights, you know, sort of get all that stuff sorted as well. So, you know, it's a it's a big effort from everybody who actually goes and tries to play in this event. Yeah, 100%. And so how long it would it have been four or five years that you've been running it? I, I've This was my fifth one. So it was 2016, 17, 18 and 19 and then we lost two years to COVID and then 2022 this year before we delve further into what was masters this year i'd really like to talk about fortunes of war i mean 
I I don't think it's too unfair to say that you very much like the competitive aspect of, of things. And, and that's why I'm like, I personally am a believer in things, even though I'll probably, well, I never get to play in enough tournaments because from running them to qualify anyway, even if I was good enough. But I think we do need to cater to the various, the various aspects of the hobby. And, you know, competition is part of that. But on the back of that, you also run what is just about the only narrative tournament in the country, which is Fortunes of War. So, which is, uh, well, for the last five years is, is the day before Masters. So yep. tell us more about Fortunes of War. I, I don't think it's a secret that Fortunes of War is probably my favourite thing to do. And <laughs> I've got these Masters players coming in from all around the country. The I, I saw, a, I was listening to some stuff just before our Masters, you know, guy overseas on YouTube talking about our lists and sort of wondering why is our Masters only 12 players? Well, our Masters is only 10 or 12 players because there, as, as a comparison, there are eight regions of the US making up their Masters and each one of those eight regions has way more players than we have in Australia. Like uh, us, uh, I think the quality of our scene is, you know, I, I'm biased. I'm going to argue it's just as good, if not better. And, you know, Tracy's our kind of online example that we, we can compete anywhere in the world. But we're, we've got players going over such a huge distance with with a relatively smaller gaming community. So we don't have the numbers to allow us to play a 60-person Masters, not even a 20-player Masters. So mm. we've got 10 or 12 people coming in one day, four games, that's the event. But having all these people fly in for one day is probably a big ask. So, so it sort of started off with me going, I still want them to have a gaming weekend. And then I had the question of going, well, what if some of these guys play each other the day before? I'm like, well, that shouldn't be a drama, but I'd want the game to be a little bit different. That then kind of coincided. The Fortunes of War is not in and of itself an original idea. It was an, The narrative campaign was run way back in the Warhammer days as a good versus evil tournament. And we had the, uh, what was it? Not Help His Rift was the last one, Destiny of Kings. So Destiny of Kings came out and it had all this extra and cool stuff and how to run campaigns. And I was just sitting there going, I could take that Fortunes of War from years ago, run it in Kings of War with all of this stuff true to, to the game we're playing now. And I would kind of argue in many ways, make it just, just as good, if not better, running it through our Kings of War system. So to for people who aren't familiar, Fortunes of War is a narrative event. It's good versus evil. All the players are divided into the two teams. Good only plays evil each round. And there are generally a series of advantages from round to round based on whether good or evil as a whole won the round before. So, you know, it's not about winning the tournament coming first like a normal tourney would. It is all about is good beating evil or is evil beating good because good is dumb. And away we go from there. Um, and it's obviously it's got some of the top players because the Masters players have flown in from before, but they're relatively divided into the two groups. And I would actually argue it's the best tournament for a new player to have come to because you're going to have all these really experienced guys on your team sitting down with you talking about, you should try this, you could do that. Have you done this? Like, you know, available for advice and questions and, you know, really being able to sort of help people out as well. And 
you know, then I add to to the narrative campaign, I'm then writing a story. So there is a story based, I get everybody to name their general, I pull everybody up to the front. They have to read out a script of three, generally three people talking to each other, like the evil guys are making their evil plans and and so forth. I mean, you're you're familiar, Matt, with the Canberra one where, you know, it was the good guys attacking the bad guys. People from overseas, Canberra is our nation's capital where all our politicians are. So we decided that Canberra is where all the evil people lived and all the good people were going to attack Canberra and Canberra's full of roundabouts and that was their magical defence system of roundabouts to make everybody get dizzy and confused. And, you know, I'm just throwing in all sorts of random stuff from the region and what's happened over the past 12 months. So this year, the narrative campaign, obviously we had a, a bevy of material from COVID to allow us to run a tournament with the evil people releasing a virus, a very bad virus, or the VB virus, as it became known. You could get it walking, you could get it talking, you could get it any old how. And the the VB virus would spread and you could then, the evil armies were going to spread the virus and then teleport across these magical planes so that they wouldn't get sick. But unfortunately, the virus did travel across these planes and they got sick as well along the way. And you know, all, all this kind of stuff just pulling in, you know, different bits and pieces about, you know, those traditional good versus evil battles where the good guys get smashed and always find a way to win at the end and then pulling in, you know, the viruses and COVID and lockdowns and grandmas getting sick and, you know, all, all sorts of little things like that and then making the guys read the lines out too, which is probably my favourite part of the event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'd, I think there's always very good good feedback about um, Fortunes of War, that's for sure. Everyone enjoys playing it. And from memory, what happens is that whoever wins the that current round gets some sort of bonus or otherwise leading into the next, correct? Yes, yes. So the, the, the good guys, either good. So this year the advantage was that the good, whoever won, won the ability to choose the scenario in the plane for the subsequent round. Mm-hmm. So, so that was that was pretty powerful. There's also we always do a like a a, a sort of a, a how would you say a, a little paper scissors rock bluff versus bluff type stuff. I've changed it a couple of times. So this year, instead of rolling off the first turn like you normally would, good versus evil, each one would submit whether they wanted to go first or second, and how many victory not victory points um essentially attrition points they were prepared to put up to have their choice of first or second turn. So, and then that would then go across every single player in the tournament. So if if good, if if the scenario was a advantage to go first, because the, and the scenarios were divided whether it was better to go first or go second in them, and if it was better to go first and good bid 300 and evil bid 100, then good would go first and evil got an extra 200 attrition points. For every single player, yeah, okay, yeah. So, and you know that, you know, it's it's not a huge difference in and of itself, but across, you know, every single round of the tournament, that can then start to make a difference on whether good or evil continue to keep winning rounds as they go through. Yeah, I I, I always really like it. I enjoy it. I, you know, everybody I talk to says they like it, but they probably know that I organise it. And if they don't like it, maybe they just don't tell me. I don't know. Uh, but. <laughs> But yeah, it's 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 probably my my favourite day of of the year. This year's one was a bit a bit stressful, but 
um, yeah, it's it's generally my favourite day of the year for sure. Yeah, I mean, certainly I've I've only played in it once, um, but you know, it was certainly great fun and particularly, you know, the way people the people do really get involved, I think, which is good, you know, throw themselves into it. I know uh, I heard uh Benson was uh pulling all sorts of voices for his yes. reading of the script this year and the way it the way it integrates with what's going on in the world around us is great. I, I changed up a little bit this year. I got I got some prize support from Mantic for Masters and Fortunes as a weekend and I used all their prize support for fortunes. Um yep. You know, Masters is, a, is a, a pride event. We don't really need prizes for it. And I wanted to make it more about the hobby. So I had a big painting award um, for the, the best army for fortunes and also had a like a, a sports vote. But the sports vote wasn't just your best opponent. Everybody had to vote for their best opponent, but you also had to vote for your best teammate. So who was the person mm-hmm. who got the most involved, you know, helped out, pulled together the team, let's all do this, how we make decisions, how are we going, like, like you know, to try to really encourage that team aspect, the the winner of that prize, Damien, he he got the best teammate vote from every single person in his team, um, you know, as well as I think all but one of his opponents. So yeah, there was you know you're trying to create that kind of dynamic um, on on the day, and you know I I'm, I think we accomplished that. I hope we did. Yeah, and of of course, um, well. For now, uh, it's it's five years, and there's a there's a new masters committee, and yep. I don't think it's got so far as uh, well. I know it hasn't been coordinating that, but not being not being a voting person, um, which is which I'll tell you now is interesting. Yeah, it is the one. Would would you see yourself running it if it wasn't on the masters weekend? I'd I'd like to. My concern is like where we would run it getting yeah. getting the numbers like there's one part of my brain that goes would we open it up for a two-day weekend like sydney has you know melbourne and brisbane and canberra have very established two-day weekend events sydney doesn't it tries to do it at moab but moab's a shocking weekend for a lot of people um it's the october long weekends in new south wales lots of people go away it's football grand final weekend people want to watch the game like it's not it's not a conducive weekend to pulling a lot of people and pulling a lot of travellers together. Um, but I, I wouldn't want to affect Nick or any of the other guys who are trying to make Moab by, by putting it on another weekend. I don't know if I'd get travellers to it as a two-day weekend. I don't know if if people would come, given that it is kind of more of a, a fun good versus evil. Like, I, I don't know. I'd certainly like to run it. and It really depends on on the interest level and, you know, how keen people are and, you know, all, all those sorts of dynamics. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly be interested. I'd like to keep doing it. I enjoy running the event. I, I I spend way too much time and way too much money putting it on, that's, that's for sure. But, I, again, this is one of my ways of giving back to a community that I really value and enjoy. So, um, yeah, I guess if people are keen, hit me up. If people have ideas on where they think it should be or if there's a gap in the gaming calendar or if they have a venue, Sydney's big issue is we don't have any good venues. Um, mm. You know, like Sylvania is is the best we've got, I'd say, and it's it's quite out of the way. We've run some stuff out of Windsor. That's also right out of the way. There's nothing, as far as I know, good in the middle of Sydney. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's Sydney's a tough one. Logistical problem more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, now let's move on to this year's Masters. So do you want to yep. tell us about uh, the structure of the event for this year, how many games it was, points, et cetera, yep. um, why you picked that, that kind of structure and points, and and for, for this year, how did, how did one go about making the Masters? Cool. So Masters is four games. It's 90, it was 1995 points. It was chosen at that points value over 2004 reason, just on the extra drops and you know, taking those five points off and not leading triples and all that kind of stuff. It's also 1995 points because of the time, getting four games in in one day. It needs to be four games, in my opinion, to really get the field so that all the best people are, are playing each other. It also is, yeah, and, you know, so, yeah, trying to, trying to fit all in in one day, we only have 12 qualifiers, Max. We only had 10 this year in the end. The, the aim has never to be to go beyond the top 20. And the reason for that being if the quality drops too much, then we're giving big wins and easy points to people playing. Like the strength of schedule suddenly gets completely skewed. Um, the aim is to have, and I give a speech before every Masters Day, and one of the parts of that speech is, you know, there is going to be somebody here today who has lost three games, looks across the table for their fourth game and goes, holy shit, are you for real? You know, because every single person at that Masters event is capable of winning the event. So it's we're trying to have that really, really quality field as, as much as we possibly can. So that that's the setup of the day. You qualified by winning one of the auto-entry events the, and the auto-entry events are winning a big two-day, five-game or more uh, event. So it's the, uh, what do you call it, Clash of Kings in Canberra, Convic, Moab this year, and BrizCon up in Brisbane were the, the four auto-qualifiers. We also always invite the previous master. He gets auto-qualification. <clears throat> so that's one way in. And so technically you can qualify for Masters by playing one event if you just happen to belt that event against good players. You also can qualify by being in the top of the ranking. So there's a ranking system. I think most countries are having a ranking system as far as you know, Matt, that play Kings of War. Like I think everyone's got one, don't they? Yes. Yeah, they, they have a they have a version of them. The UK's is very similar to ours. Um, well, actually, uh, yeah, they were always similar and then we changed our scoring to be more similar to theirs. Uh, the US works a little bit differently in that each region basically, yeah, they, they set their own requirements. But, I mean, you know, in and of itself, there's a ranking system. It has nothing to do with me. Um, I, I use it, so I, I take a I take an interest in it, but I have nothing to do with it, nothing to do with the formulas. I, I just need somebody to do it. So Michael Clark did all that work this year, putting the rankings together, getting all the results, hassling people that sent him incomplete data at all, all the, you know, hassles that I don't even know about. You, pro you probably know more than me, Matt, about what Michael had to go through to get all that data together. But, yeah, he puts that up. I use it. I send the invites out to people. I usually start flagging people about two months before the deadline, just going, hey, look, you look like you're in. Are you able to come? Start putting time away. I generally organize, like try and organize some accommodation for travelers, um, you know, cars, uh, you know, flights for city people, telling people I'm on this flight, this is what we're going to do to get that plan together. You know, maybe I should be planning that, but we'll talk about that in a sec. But um, <clears throat> there's, you know, some, 
you know, trying to make it as easy as possible to get everybody there. And yeah, we're looking at a field of, of 12 people and all 12 of those players are good. Um, apart from, you know, well, it's a bit hard for me to say apart from myself. I generally put a lot of shit on myself in my, my write-ups and my guide and stuff, but I, I won, which most people are still shocked about. We'll come to that later. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm on the record as saying I will never, ever win the Masters and run it. Mm. It's just too difficult. And then I kind of did. So, yeah, yeah I'm still <laughs> confused. Um, but, yeah, so that that's the setup. And we pretty much got, I think we had the top, six ranked people there and then the next six were strung out over the next eight spots in the rankings um mm. so yeah that 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 was how the feel was made a couple of you know jeff trace and matt curtis were the clear favorites this year they had you know a, a, a there was daylight between those two and and the next few ranked people they those two had won pretty much everything there was to win this year um that they were definitely the favourites coming in. Um, not that the rest of us were making up the numbers, but yeah, they, they they were kind of the the players with the targets on their back this year. Okay, and uh, yeah, so you told us you told us points, you told us why, um, and it's four games, correct, in a day? Yeah, four four games. Yeah. Yep. Okay, and you told us how to make the masters. So, in terms of yourself, how did you make the masters this year? Uh, where, where were you ranked, or did you auto qualify? What, what was the what yeah. was the story? So I was ranked sixth, if I remember rightly. Actually, brought I brought all my data up beforehand, so I could actually look at this and make sure I get it right. So I was ranked sixth this year, or at least I was seeded sixth. I'm pretty sure I was ranked sixth overall, top six game. Um, so yeah, seeded six. I had done well enough at Clash of Kings, which is, which makes the lion's share of the rankings, to be honest, because it's the biggest tournament we have in Australia by far, even though I heard you tell me that I had no chance um, with my silly herd list 12 months ago. I was, I was able to fly under the radar and I actually didn't do all that well in the first few rounds, but I won my last two games and managed to get up there and get some points. And then I went down to Convic and I did pretty well there too. Again, I didn't podium at either of them, but I, I think I was fourth at Convict, fourth or fifth or something like that. I did. I didn't win a tournament all year. There was there was, and then there was a couple of smaller ones in Sydney. There was one tournament where I, I had three. It was a three three games in one day, and I went nineteen, eighteen, and fifteen in my three games, and I was ten points behind Tracy, who went blackjack, 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 and was on a maximum. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, for God's sake, what are, what are you going to do to win it? win an event like I, I <laughs> yeah anyway uh, it's, it's tough when your your traveling partner does that but yeah so I'd, I'd sort of quali- yeah qualified by doing consistently well and it's something I'd, I'd emphasize to people too you don't need to go and win all these big events to make the masters you just need to do consistently well if you, if you do consistently well you'll be there I would say that the vast majority of people that made it or or were invited probably didn't win a tournament. Yeah, probably. They, I yeah, mean, right. just- they would have, they, like obviously they would have podiumed, but this was a a year where because you know obviously Tracy wins a lot. Matt won almost anything he turned up at. So when you've got two people like you say those streets ahead, the quite a few underneath might not have won a tournament at all. Um, but they might podium consistently or top five consistently. And, and of, of course, the way the rankings work depends on how many people are there. 
Yes. So, I, yeah, you know, I, I think you're completely right. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a good, good it was a good field. Like, I, again, you know, I, I, I heard Ben sort of talking about Masters being stressful and he didn't, you know, not that he didn't think he was good enough to be there, but that he, he, he just found it very stressful and anxious being there. And, again, how he feels is a different part of the equation. But, like, Ben's certainly a good player and good enough to be there. Um, you know, I, I, every, everybody there was good enough to be there, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so uh, what what was on the line for the winner besides eternal glory? Well, it's funny you say that because I was talking to my, my brother after this and he goes, wow, Ken, you're the greatest TO in the world. You literally do nothing and people just give you awesome shit as prizes. And I'm like, well, that, that that's a bit harsh. Like, you know, I, I print all this stuff, but I, I do all these extra things and I try and put this really cool package together and all this sort of stuff. But I rocked up at House of War which, by the way, House of War in Melbourne, if there was a place like that near where I lived in Sydney, I'd probably be divorced. Um, <laughs> that store is unreal. And the owner just went, hey, dude, here, have a 3D printer. I'm like, okay. <laughs> just like, yeah, yeah, right. so he, he, he had that as a prize. But um, I guess the other, you know, the, the other, you know, the main prize people are aware of, there's a, a perpetual trophy. I don't know if the new... The new people want to keep using the perpetual trophy, or if they want their own trophy, or, or yeah, you know, I, I don't know what they want to do. So there's there's that you get to keep for twelve months and get your name engraved on it and all that kind of stuff. This year was a little bit different because a few people saw I got hit up by someone in the US asking who was running the Masters. That person is running a tournament in the States with the Jesse Cornwall Cup, which is a team's event in memory of um, Jesse Cornwall, who most most long-time Kings of War players know the name. You know, this is what Sir Jesse's Boots of Striding is named after. And he was a, a you know, I'm not going to pretend I ever met Jesse or talked to him. I, I didn't, but I certainly knew of him from the efforts that he put into the community with Kyle for, for years and years, really. Um, so they have a, a memorial teams event in his honor, and he, Marcelo from the US, really he was an old ex Aussie, and he really wanted an Australia team to be there. So he offered free accommodation to any Masters player who can make it to Philadelphia, and he offered flights to the winner. So, so there must have been uh, some some red hot competition. I'm guessing people wanted to well, were frothing at the mouth for that. Well, funnily enough, I didn't tell anyone. I don't know if okay. people would agree with that decision. I've never found the Masters to be this overly competitive or super competitive, but I just I, I said to Marcelo when he made the offer, I said, look, that's amazing. I'm going to write this in the envelope and give it to the person who wins it. I'm not going to tell the guys beforehand because I don't want any – like that's real money, and I didn't want that to affect the way the event runs. You know, again, we're, yeah. you know, we're, we're playing to be the best toy soldier player in Australia. Like, yeah. I, don't, I didn't want that to be affected. Now, Marcelo said to me... So, yeah, so reasoning being that basically, you know, the, the prize is too big, basically, isn't it? You know, the, Yeah, yeah, I, I um, thought so. And mm. and Marcelo said to me, well, Ken, what if you win? And I'm like, Get, I probably shouldn't swear on this podcast, should I? I was, you know... <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can do short clunks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, get get the hell out of here. Like, I'm not going to win. It's not, I've, as I said, I'm on the record for not saying so. But I said to him, look, if I win it, I'll offer to split that fly with anyone who can come. Like, I, I I, had known the – I'd been around the ETC guys, but I'd never 
been able to go. Like when that happened in the Warhammer days, my career was at a point where I couldn't really go. When they, they went for War Machine of Hordes, I wasn't good enough then anyway, but that was, you know, children and all, all that sort of stuff. You know, my brother went, all, you know, Jeff, Tracy and all those guys, all my friends went and I never went. So I kind of went, I'm happy to split that flight. I'd love to get anybody there who can get there and I'd love to go. How, how, how do you feel about no, they're not telling now? Look, I feel I still feel it was the right thing to do. Um, yeah. I feel I, I I certainly feel that making that offer immediately of saying oh, I'll split this flight with anybody who can come, I'm more than yeah. happy to do that. Was the the right thing to do? I certainly wasn't obligated to do that, but it's something I wanted to do because I, I wanted to get as many Australians who can possibly get there as as possible there. Um, the, the main thing I think about it is that when, when Marcelo made the offer to me, I, I talked to my wife about it and she's like, and we're actually, we've got friends who are going to be in New York at the end of next year and we're going to go and meet them there. So she's like, you can't go to the US on your own and go again later on. It's not going to happen. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's fair enough. And then I won. And I'm like, well, now I have these flights. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't really think I can turn this down. <clears throat> um so yeah, that you know the the main thing was it, it helped it helped with that side. And of things. for the record, you're still living in the same house. We are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, two, I'd, I'd hope two psychologists can work it out anyway. That, that's right. That's all, all good. No, she. To be fair, she was she was tremendously proud. Um, yeah. I actually didn't tell her. The other, yeah. the other thing, until afterwards too that that was a prize. I I, I didn't tell anyone. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, look, I can see, I can see your reasoning. With one person who um, wasn't going to the event at all, just just to run it by them and just go, look, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Do you agree? Um, sort of debated it with with another person just to just to make sure that I, my reasoning was right around it all, and they they all agreed. And they, again, they also say, well, what if you win? I'm like, I'm not going to win. Um, what if you win? I'll do this <clears throat> like that. It was, you know, for me, it was more around, do I tell everybody that this. Because it's never been on offer before, um, yeah. and it may never be on offer again. Yeah, so uh, I mean, so that's I guess in in one way that's a little bit of drama. Um, but some of our listeners might have heard on our previous episode where Matt Selleck came on and talked about the streaming that you know that there you know there were some issues on the day. But like, I mean, honestly, I, I think most masters in most countries end up with some issues. What did besides besides that kind of I guess for one of a better way of putting it, little conflict. But um, is is it was there anything else from your your point of view that that stood out as, as being? There were two for me. There were there were two um, big issues. The first one, they were both my fault. Actually, I'm not going to say the first one was my fault. They're both my fault. The first one was time. So there was no triple T to run the software this year. So as I said before, you've been able to run tournaments and play in them. It's never been a problem because everybody enters their own results on their phone, bang, done. All you got to do is go, yep, confirm, bang, yep, everything's in, next round, go. Yeah. The Mantic um, software is awesome for list building and I subscribed on the first day and I love it. It's not, it was not capable of running fortunes at all and I couldn't, it didn't seem to be capable of running masters as I needed it either and that left me three weeks out finding my old Excel spreadsheet from 10 years ago and trying to update it and get it ready to run a tournament, um, printing pieces of paper and getting pens and, you know, parting like it's 1999 essentially. Yeah. <laughs> so that that started to really stress me out on the time. I was there going, 
how am I going to keep this on track and on schedule? Normally, that's not too much of an issue. But four Masters, four games on the Sunday, people flying home. The most person affected by that was me and Tracy. I'd booked our flights. They were two and a bit hours after the tournament was supposed to finish. I was at Convict. It was We had less than that then, and it wasn't a drama at all. But getting to the venue, we had to drive through the city, and there was no freeway. And every, every tournament I played at this year pretty much went over time. And most of that over time was not during when the clock's running, but generally people are given about 10 minutes to set up you know, confirm your terrain, look at your opponent's armies, get all your models out, and then get ready to go. That 10 minutes is crucial. You'll win the game working out your deployment plan. And I think people in the community have wised up to that and are really taking their time. And I couldn't afford that this round. Combine that with the fact that in the Masters, the thing, people who are not familiar with it, in the first round, we do the army swap. So the army swap is... You know your opponent. So number one ranked player plays number 10, two played nine, three played eight, and so on and so forth. But you play against your army with your opponent's army in the first round. This is a Masters. Masters isn't I figured out one list and I smashed my list. Masters is I'm the best player. So if you're the best player, you should be able to adapt. You should know the rules. You should be able to you know make it work with anything. So... In that round, we give everybody a little bit of extra time. So it's 55 minutes on the clock each way with the 10 minutes, so two hours. The time slots for the other games are 50 minutes in the clock for each player, an hour and 50 all up. And I stuffed up the pack and I had the two hours and then the hour 50 for the subsequent rounds, but I had the 55-minute disclaimer in the first round and the 50-minute was gone. So... I don't know what happened because I usually just write over my master's pack from the year before, but it's clearly my mistake. I'd noticed that the day before, or or, sorry, the week before, I got to the event, pulled the guys together and said, all right, guys, this is, this is, I've noticed this in the pack. Almost everybody who'd played before knew that it was 55 in the first round and then 50 subsequently. And everybody was there going, yep, no dramas. We, we saw it was now 50. That's not a drama. And we know that we got to skip. And I got to tell you guys, like, I was not sleeping. I was so anxious about missing my flight, stuffing everybody up, made this huge mistake. What am I going to do? I tried to contact my flight provider. I don't even want to mention their name. You told me to get stuff. When I said, oh, I'll do anything to get on an hour later flight, they said, bugger off. So I couldn't change it. I couldn't do anything about it. I got to drive. Australia's playing Argentina in the morning. I'm like, this game is not going to extra time. Like, I really wanted Australia to win, but I was like, <laughs> if we need to lose before we go to extra time of penalties, well, that's just what we need to do. Uh, like, I was, <laughs> I was just, I was so stressed, like, the, the time entering the data. So with all this, I'd said to the guys, we're sticking to time. We're playing through lunch. Someone's going to go and get food for us. We need to keep this on schedule. Everybody was like, yeah, Ken, no dramas. That affected one person. That was Stephen Devonish. He hadn't been to the Masters before. He'd been practicing to time. He played a Horde army. He didn't want to be that guy. He didn't pipe up and say anything about it. That really affected Steve. So, you know, Steve needs my eternal apologies. 
Steve, when he if we get drawn at CanCon, is going to have the karma God shown on him, and I'm going to get belted in that game. I know it. <laughs> um, you know, he he took it with very good grace, but he he did. I did check in with him, and he said, "Look, that extra five minutes on a horde army makes all the difference, Ken." And I'm 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 struggling. I'm timing out, and I was just I, I felt terrible. So. I think I actually think that's the biggest issue that came out of the weekend, and that that's all my fault. The second one was the painting score. I'd never had painting in the masters before. I kind of feel like I got bullied and peer pressured into doing it. Um, I did it because there are good reasons to do it, and one of the good reasons is we're having the update on the army list, and I didn't want something to change. There'd be a big meta hole, and somebody just begs, borrows, and steals the new power unit puts seven of them on the table and away they go. When you have a painting score and you're looking at basing and consistency, you're basically saying to people, you need to play your army. You've painted it all. You've made it the same. Don't, no shenanigans. So um, we had that in, we had Matty judge it for fortunes. I'd written the rubric. I thought I'd done a pretty good job at saying, as long as you've painted your army and done it well, There'll be no dramas. Matt is a thousand times better painter than me. He read the criteria and said, well, this is how I'm judging it, which he was completely correct in doing. And a few of the guys were like, well, hang on, that's not what's supposed to happen. And I'm like, oh, shit, this this is, you know, so by the end of Fortunes, I'm like, crap, I've got a problem tomorrow. I talked to Matt about it and I knew the answer before I asked the question, but I said, how do you feel about doing this tomorrow? And he was just like, no, I don't want to be responsible for you know, somebody not getting a, a place on a subjective score, which I kind of knew he was going to say. I teed somebody else up who then had had to pull out, so I didn't have my judge. So I suddenly was there going, well, what do I do? I've got 20 points that I need to figure out how to do. So I had, you know, I basically addressed the group, said this is the criteria, this is the expectation, this is what we're being marked on, and I expect it to be done correctly because I didn't really know what else I could do at that point. I think the big takeaway from that is that people saw Tracy got 12 points and everybody, most other people got 20 and feel that that, that cost him a place. Um, and look, that on a way is true, but by the same token, Tracy didn't read the pack and didn't know there was a painting score and took models that weren't based. <laughs> I mean, which is, which, is, which is not unlike Tracy, to be honest. It's, it's and, not unlike not Tracy at all. Yeah. And and Tracy's like, Ken, you've never had painting in the Masters before. And I'm like, I oh, know, but did you read the pack? Did you read the big thing on Facebook? Did you read all the stuff talking about it? And he's like, no. And mm. I'm like, well, you got to read the pack, buddy. <laughs> like, mm. like what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm glad that that didn't cost him winning. Um, if that would have cost him winning, I think that would have been a really big problem, but it didn't. You know, that 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 I'm very thankful for. Um, but that that was kind of the other issue when when I lost my judge and I didn't have a good setup for it. And also, I mean, I made it worth too many points. I think that's fair to say. I had I probably had my old school mentality of conversions and stuff. I heard the the other guys talking about we in our 3D printing world, we don't need conversions anymore. And I actually agree. Um, I've always you know I've always thought, you know, full model count should count for something and buying mantic models should I actually think kind of count for something. But it's it's how do you get this stuff to be less subjective? And I thought I'd done it well, and I didn't. So, you know, it's it's how do you kind of account for for some of these things? But they were the two, I guess, the two big issues that I thought I had with the pack on the day. Um, mm. 
and it just yeah. it just to me solidified that I don't really feel that soft scores of any description have a place in this event. Yeah, well, and and speaking of like costing him a place, watching on the stream, it looked like uh, Tracy, well, t- potentially, potentially, if 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 he had gone into the last round and and uh, and played you, cost cost himself one. So there was, it, it looked like he allowed gameplay after he clocked after the opponent clocked out. So I didn't. I was. I mean, I, as I've mentioned, I was both playing and entering yeah. the scores and running the event. So I I didn't. I actually was around the table at the end of this, but I didn't really kind of know the full story to afterwards. My understanding is Maddie was very short on time, going thousand miles an hour at the end of turn six. Um, basically, moved his last thing and said, "That's my turn." But the clock was at the other end of the table. Said, "That's my turn," and then two seconds later, the clock goes. So he said to Tracy. Can I have two seconds in my next turn? Mm. Um, now, th- you know that that's the question. Like, is, is Matt wrong for asking it? I don't necessarily feel that that's an inappropriate question. Um, Tracy could have said no, and I think many people would probably say he should have said no. He was in his rights to say no, but you know, anyone who knows Tracy like I do, he's never going to say no to that. Like, no, no, I don't think Tra- I don't think Tracy would 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 ever say no. Yeah. Um, and you know, so he, yeah, I don't know how it looked on the stream. I'm sure it would have been. Well, confusing. I think I think part of it too was that there was there was a couple of things in the game that had actually bought some time for Matt. So like being tight at the other end, and I guess then if you've got people like Stephen clocking out, um, yeah. But 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 in the end, like it, it's also a question too is well, how much how much is the onus on the players versus how much is the you know because because really. It, it's my opinion that in Kings that pretty much everything should be able to be sorted out at the table. Like very rarely should should a should a TO need to become involved. I've I've been running the Masters and I've very you know, I might get asked one or two questions an event. They're almost always those kind of, you know, withdraw wheeling angles <laughs> type type questions that I often don't actually know the answer to and need to ask somebody else myself. Um Stuff like that, the onus is on the players. And I, I give a I give a speech at the, the Masters. One of the big differences between our normal play is that at the Masters there's no take backs. And that is very different to how this tournament is general how tournaments are generally played. But I didn't ever want a situation where somebody lets you re-roll your blade of slashing and then comes in and says, I've forgotten entire combat, I'm gonna do it. I let you have that blade of slashing. Like it has to be clearly yes or no. Now, I put yeah. this in place and I forget stuff and I, I, I had a shooting army and I forgot my entire shooting phase the turn before Steve <laughs> touched me with his Order of the Green Lady Army. Like, I literally yeah. stopped the game and almost threw up. Like, I was so sick <laughs> with what, I'd, what I had just done. I'm just looking at my face as I rolled this meaningless combat and just went, oh, my God, I, I, I think I've just lost the game. On the spot here, yeah. and you know, I, against yeah. against PG, I did the same thing. I you know, I rolled the break test and rolled a f- a four, needing five, and then realised I had an entire flank attack monster that I didn't roll. Mm. And I'm like, that's my bad luck, like yeah. because the, yeah, the yeah. reason being, you know, people want to ask for that take back, 
it's this is a timed event and this is the Masters. There is a pressure involved. It's not bad sportsmanship not to give a take back. It's bad sportsmanship to ask your opponent to forgive you for your mistake. Yeah. So in so in that is so with that in mind, is it is it yeah. the player's responsibility to manage their clock? It is the player's responsibility. You may if you didn't press your button, that's your fault. Um, yeah. And and I guess the thing is is in a competitive environment like Masters, I think the vast majority of, of tournaments it doesn't really matter. But yes. when that when that happens, and I totally understand that it doesn't bother Tracy at all, and he's quite happy to do it, but it actually does impact the other game. Yes, yeah, and you know I certainly do appreciate that as well. But mm. you know, as I think as anybody there, you know, a game is an agreement between two players. So if Tracy and Matt are playing and they're having that dynamic and they're communicating well through the game, as a TO, I don't think I really have a, a right to step in and hey, what's going on here or anything like that as well. I mean, from my perspective, I didn't I didn't really know of anything till after the game was finished anyway. So well, yeah, and I and I, I kind of agree actually. If it's not if it's not like black and white somewhere, because it's not like it's black and white in the rule book, right? So. If it's not black and white somewhere, it actually it, it is also just as controversial for the TO to step in. Like if you had chosen at that point to step in and say, no, Tracy, you can't do that, Matt, you lose, you know, then, you know, that's, that's just as controversial. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, probably more so. Um, mm. you know, well, particularly if you then go on to win. <laughs> yeah, that's real oh God. Can you imagine how how bad that would be? But it, and it's that thing too that you know I don't know if anybody's asked Tracy how he feels. Spoke to him very briefly, like yeah. I, I and 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 not I didn't speak to him about it really. I just said mm-hmm. a absolute gentleman as always, Tracy. Yep. And, and, and his response was, "I don't regret anything." Yeah, and yeah, which is yep. which is. I'm, I'm not going to speak you know, for I him. Not, I actually don't think it's the first. And something like that has happened with Tracy because because in the end he doesn't he doesn't mind you know no that's um, right and you know I've got a, as I said I've got a trophy here and he's named on it three times like yeah, I don't exactly. think you know there's there's nothing to prove and no no dramas in that respect on on how he on how he conducts himself so um, yeah <clears throat> yeah okay um, and then uh, we're we're going a little bit longer than I thought but that's okay. Um, anything else you wanted to say about the day before we have a quick look, at your, a quick chat about your list and um, how you got? Yeah, the only thing I, the only other thing I'd mention because I heard the the guys talk about this is the streaming and the streaming choices. Now, I put um, Tracy versus. So I knew that people might end up playing on the streaming table more than once. So I actually put multiple maps on that table to try to account for that. If you're going to be on the same table, yeah. um, Tracy played on that table on round one. Maddie Curtis played on that table on round two. Tracy and Matt both played on it in round three. So they'd already both played on that game twice and they were sitting in, you know, the top four. And when you get to one game to go in the Masters, only somebody in the top four really can win it from that point, the way the the scores break down. So I think, you know, the gaming community would have wanted either my game with Matt or Tracy's game with AG. I think he played AG in the last round, didn't he? Hang on, round four. Uh, yeah, Tracy played AG. Did he? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think everybody would prefer to see one of those two games on the stream table, and I get that. But mm. after game three, I'd had a quick word to both Matt and Tracy about how are you going on the stream? 
because I was wanting to put them there. And I kind of like, there's a part of me that wanted to play on the stream. Like I, I thought that would have been really cool. And yeah. they both said playing on the stream is tough. Um, yeah, right. yeah, they're basically saying playing that game was just that little bit harder. So I'll suddenly look at this situation of going, if I put one of these games on that stream, that's going to give an advantage to the other person. Mm-hmm. If I decide to put myself and Matt on that table and Matt's there going, this is tough, I'm giving myself an advantage. I didn't want to do that. So, you know, I could certainly understand, you know, the, the, the streaming guys going, we want the best game. Like this is like, you know, Channel 9 puts the Brisbane Broncos on every Friday night. Like <laughs> we don't give a shit if you like it or not. That's the, yeah, that's yeah. the ratings. Um, but I, I was just kind of sitting there going, actually, you know, I don't care about the ratings here. I need this to be as equitable and fair as possible. And suddenly I'm faced with a decision that actually could make a difference. To, to the outcome. So the best yeah, decision yeah. was to not put either of those, either, either of those two games on that table, um, which is probably a bit of a shame because I would have actually thought I, I played pretty well against Matt. I would have loved to have been able to prove I did it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, although I did make a, yeah, when I say I played well, maybe I'll put it out of my ass might be a better way of putting mm-hmm. it. Um, but yeah, it didn't, I, I just thought that was the right decision. Again, I suppose it's very similar to me deciding not to tell everybody there was a flight on offer. I, I just thought that was the right decision. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. And so do you want to run us through the list you took to the event? Yep, yep. I took the Abyssal list. A lot of you would see it. And it's funny, I um I haven't listened to the full podcast, but I heard, was it the the Rec Misfire guys were doing the, the Force of the Abyss review? And no, no, that, that was us. Money, that was us. There was, yeah, that was me with um yeah. with Matthew Temple and Steve Foster from America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and we and didn't. Uh, a- we said the Afrit was rubbish. You did, <laughs> you did. So, <laughs> I, I'll yeah, I'll jump to the Afrit a sec. So I've got a lower abyssal horde with a healing brew. You'd mm-hmm. love the imp, but the imp's fifteen points and only had five. So um, that's why he's got the healing brew. You've got two units of flame bearers. Flame bearers are the best. You are arguably the best unit in the demon list, in my opinion. Um, they're, they're 18 inches at piercing one and steady aim. Steady aim is just the, the greatest shooting rule that there is. There's the gargoyles. Now, the gargoyles have two purposes in life. They sit behind Zazusu the Betrayer and they get sacrificed and sacrificed until they then fly in front of something and die. And that is the extent of their role, and they do it very well. Um, there's two hordes of Molochs with the Despoiler Champion. These things just hit like Mack trucks, and that you know that is their role. I suppose they're probably the other contender for best unit in the Forces of the Abyss list, in my opinion. There's two Regiments of Tortured Souls. There's certainly an argument for hordes, but I've got two, two Regiments. In many ways, they just end up being blockers and chaff. They're 120-point chaff, but they're hard-to-kill chaff. And then if they're not chaff, they actually can, you know, if you start getting them on flanks and stuff, they, they do a fair bit of damage. I've got the big chicken, the Abyssal Fiend. He's the big titan. He's not really much to look at in his actual profile, but he's inspiring as a monster, and that really makes a difference. The Fireball 10 gets used more than you think and is more useful than you think. He doesn't actually do that much damage, but he's like this big target and everybody looks at him. And I had a big scary thing that was, you know, half a foot tall on the table 
and everybody just goes, oh, my God, I've got to kill that thing. I'm like, go kill that thing. He's not that good. Um, the Efreet is a little bit the same. So I had the Efreet with the Diadem for Fireball 21. It's not piercing. It doesn't do that much damage. It, it really doesn't. But it looks like it does. People freak out about him. They're turning around. They're running in circles. Um, he, he does more psychologically than he actually does on the table. Um, and then every now and then, of course, you roll a spike with your to hit roll against the toughness three target and it just gets wiped off the table and everybody goes, oh, my God, and freaks out about the Efreet. And it's actually that freak out factor that is his biggest weapon more than anything else. Um, although, fun little fact, when we played Fortunes of War, we were playing the the Halipi's Rift stuff. So we had the channeling tables and against poor Brendan Cousins, I got the extra six-inch range on my Efreet and was able to tag his um, <laughs> tag his Phoenix, his Defense 3 Phoenix with a Fireball 21 from 17.9 inches away um, <laughs> and, and drop it with that and one Warlock shooting it. Um, but, you know, to be fair, he was able to give his Lizard Tyrants um, the extra five attacks and just go front on and absolutely belt something um, in, in return. But, yeah. That, that, that was the greatest Efreet shot of all time, that one. Um, so, yeah, had the Efreet, two Warlocks with Drain Life. Their primary role with the Drain Life is healing. Um, that I, In my opinion, that's the Forces of Abyss's biggest strength is the healing. And I'm people who know the style of armies I play, I always have some version of healing in my list. I, I just, I personally believe it's necessary. And then, I, as I've mentioned, Zazu, at the end. So that was 1995 points, 13 units, 23 unit strength, not a lot of items. There's the diadem and the healing brew. I think that's my only items in the whole list. Yeah. And what do you, and so is your approach when you vary between scenarios or playing against the different armies, does your approach with the army change <clears> much <throat> or you know what the army does and so you basically employ that same tactic across multiple <clears throat> games? Definitely that one. I know what the army does. My deployment doesn't change much. Like you obviously have to modify a few things based on where the terrain is, you know, getting things in open space or, or through terrain, where is the big scary on the other side. But you're kind of clumping things together. So the two flame bearers almost always together because one unit shooting does very little, but both of them shooting together can do a lot. <clears throat> that almost always causes whatever is vulnerable to shooting to be thrown on the other side of the table and then now I know exactly where to put the Efreet. So you know, the, there's a few little things like that that the list does where you kind of have and, – and this you know this list does have a fair bit of, of shooting with Zazu, Warlocks, the Efreet, and the Flamebearers. So you're kind of putting up two, two groups of shooters, however that little group breaks down, and trying to focus fire with, in, in two different – units or areas, and then you're just selecting the units, delaying stuff, blocking things off, and then hoping that you knock a few things off, they can't block your Molochs, the Molochs then come in and clean up whatever scary thing is left. Um, you know, it's probably, I'm making it sound more simple than it is, I suppose, but um, it's it's a list that I, I mean, I played this list at Convict and basically didn't change it because um, I'd, I'd had very little practice um, AG before the because we had the army swap, so I was playing AG's list against this list, and AG is sending me photos of him with a table set up, 
and my units and his units going against each other, showing me that he was practicing the matchup. And I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> I never even practice my own army, let alone <laughs> being able to practice playing against it uh, with his army. I had no idea what his stuff did. Yeah, okay. And what do you see? What do you see as the real strengths and weaknesses? Look, the str- the funny thing is the strength is the shooting. I noticed this at at Convic as well. Um, people racing across afraid of the Mollocks or trying to knock out the unit strength of the the Abyssal Horde because it's such a I mean you know it's the only big horde on the table of infantry. And mm. like I remember when I, I played Matty Selick at, at Convic as an example. He flew the vampire into them and he got his units and hit the Molochs and stuff and nothing touched the shooting. And by doing that, it actually, and, you know, he's they've got a killer unit. He's got to turn around and face and it just let me go, okay, everything on this bank, everything on this bank. So I'm trying to do that to people as much as possible. If you can knock out the flame bearers early, then I'm in trouble. Um, my And they're only 18 inches and they're not too hard to kill. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> Excuse me. If if people have a concerted plan to run at the flame bearers, I'm, I'm going to struggle. Most people didn't do that. Most people are looking at the Molochs and going, I've got to knock out these Molochs. I've got to put some plan against them. I don't want my Molochs to go racing off to kill something away from the rest of my guys. I need to keep them near the Warlocks and keep them near the drain life and all that kind of stuff. So you know, the, the weakness is there's not much high defense stuff at all. And if you can shut down the healing and then all it takes then is one bad regen roll and then suddenly I'm going to start wilting, you know, pretty quickly. Um, the strength of the list, of course, is that it's got a bit of speed with the, the flying of the tortured souls. It's got some good short-range shooting and the healing allows it to grind better than it looks if you if I don't let you kind of focus on it, if that makes sense. It doesn't generally like big, fast, hard-hitting things. Yeah, okay. And you mentioned that you've been playing it for a while, so Convict, so that's roughly, you know, six months of reps with it and, you know, you're no stranger to Forces of the Abyss before that. Uh, how many reps did you ha- do you think you've had prior to Masters, like overall in the previous 12 months with a similar kind of list? Look, I, I played this list at – I played the list a similar early in the year and it did really well and then I went away from it for a bit. Then when I went to Convict, I'm like, oh, this is the best list I've played this year. I'm, I want to play it because I want to do well here, and I played it there. I've, I'm on the record. I've been trying to play a list with three giants using Northern Lights with Harim and two Frost Giants, and I've just been trying to make this three-giant list work. And I've, you know, the new thing, and it's got Rampage or Slayer, and you can choose. I'm like, come on, the Giants, the Giants. And I'd played some practice games. Just a couple with the guys um, had come up to my place to play before masters and i'm playing this list and they're just like ken you're going to the masters your list is shit go and play the demons <laughs> <laughs> and like, but they're good and it's different and ag will get this list and he'll he'll have a fit how would he ever play it and they're like ken your list is shit go and play the demons yeah <laughs> okay all right so i'd had zero practice games since convict with this list but i'd played at convict so i knew what to do um, I got to play it at Fortunes, even though the Halpy's Rift stuff really changes the conditions. It still let me play the units, know the stats, know the rules, get over forgetting that that thing had that thing that would have helped me here, and 
get myself up to date so that I was ready to go. I know you love making fun of my record against Tracy after my influence Clash of Kings game a couple of years ago. <laughs> well, have you read that? Have you have you read the Clash of Kings pack, Ken? I have seen that the um, <laughs> most inept player award is named after so, myself. No, no, come on, lowest attrition. Lowest attrition. <laughs> That's all right. It, 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 <laughs> you know, it's it's I, I, I still get the twitch when I think about that unit copying thirty five plus damage over that game and still not dying, let alone nothing mm-hmm. else. Yeah, I, I was. I'd played Tracy at Fortunes in the third round, and I'd beat him there. And as much as you know, the, the gaming conditions had changed, and they probably affected him more than me in the game we played and the the terrain and you know some of the other things that happened in, with it. You know, the deploying of the tap house and all that kind of stuff. But uh, overall, you know, I, I knew the list was good, so I I knew how to play it. I knew how to make it work. I was sort of pretty happy with the plan. Yeah, great. Okay. And then what's on the cards for 2023? Are the Abyss getting retired for a while? Still going? Maybe a little bit of Mantic on the horizon, Ken? Look, the, I'm definitely not playing them at Clash of Kings. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a list planned. I've got two. Well, to be fair, I've got two lists planned. Um, I'm having some of the guys up in once I'm back from holidays to, to have some practice games. That'll be my only chance to, to practice it. They're, they're, the ones are Northern Lions list, ones are Varanga list. They're pretty similar in many, many ways. A very like lo- a lot of them are using the same units. I'm just trying to figure out which one's going to work better with the, the little differences between the lists. Mm-hmm. I'll play that at Clash, and then that will tell me what I go and take to Philly when I, I go to the states for that game. If I do well at Clash, I'll probably play that list because that's the thing I've recently played. Um, if I feel like I'm not driving the sports car. I'm 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 back in the the family sedan, so to speak. Then I might play the Abyss at Philly because, or one of the reasons why is the list is easy to pack up and put on a plane, um, which does need to be a consideration for for going to this event. But yeah, I'll yeah I'll go to Clash first, see what happens, work it out from there. I might who knows? I mean, I'm a war gamer like everybody else. I might have a new idea, a new list, and plan an entire new army by then. Um, yeah, we're all prone to doing that at some point in time. And okay, all right. Yeah, well, is there anything else you want to run through, Ken, before we finish up for the evening? Um, the only thing I'd want to say to everybody, if everybody who's listening to this in Australia, get to Clash of Kings. It's a, you know, what is that? Sixty-five we're up to now, or something like that. Like, it's going to be huge. Yeah, yep. sixty-five. Um, although I think we had one drop today, so back down to sixty-four. But. Um, yeah, it's going to yeah, be awesome. We'll, we'll be close. Yeah, yeah. it will be good. And, and look, there are going to be some good players there, of course. But there's going to be brand new players. It's like the the whole breadth of it. It's you know, if if you're playing, if you're playing any war game, let alone Kings of War, purely for the point of winning the event, you're playing for the wrong reasons. Like, I don't play any tournament to win anything. I do my best at them and try my best, and I get shitty when I make mistakes, and I get angry at myself and grumble and all that sort of stuff. But like it's just fun. Playing games is fun. Like if you want to have fun yeah. and you want to learn, get to Clash of Kings. And then the other thing I'd say is that if you're in the states, get get to Philly. Like you don't have to play me. You play Trashy. He's the, he's the better player. You know we right we can wait. We're so excited <laughs> to go. Um, I, I saw a little thing on Facebook that Trashy's going to have a dance card and be more popular than Taylor Swift's latest release or <laughs> something like that. Was it was pretty funny. But yeah, we're going to be there. We're going to be there a couple of days beforehand. We're going to help set up because we've got nothing else to do um yeah i'd I'd 
I don't play online. I don't play on Unbound. I don't know anybody overseas like Tracy does or anything like that. But yeah, we, we can't wait to go. I'm, I'm so excited to go and play. So if, you, if you're from the States and you can make this the pilgrimage in Philadelphia, please get there as well. We'd love, love to say hello. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the really interesting thing about the, about Clash is I've already had a bit of contact from people and the, the whole artwork prize has actually captured a few imaginations. And mm. I know that there are actually, that yeah. there are good players who yes. are opting to take their Mantic armies, which might not be their most powerful army for, yep. for a chance at some artwork. You've got to, you've got to convince Tracy to, to bring his Mantic force to the abyss. Can you imagine a little Tracy in the fourth edition rule book? Oh. That it, or I think he's Trident Realms are mostly um, Mantic or might all be Mantic as well. Um, yeah, right. I'm not sure about that. Be? But... He'd have to be a Halfling character, surely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What's the – I don't know. Like, I mean, a part of me thinks that – what is that model, the big deal? We need Tracy to be the big deal, <laughs> something, something like that. But um, yeah. what if little Tracy won it and he got the artwork? That, that, True. True. That would be funny. Um, (laughs) not the little Tracy's very little. Younger Tracy might be a better description. That's just pretty big. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that that art prize is definitely something worth um, investing in. Like that, that's, I don't know who had that idea in Mantic too, but geez, they have some good ideas about stuff sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to be honest, I don't know. The person I was dealing with was Martin. I have a feeling that it was his idea, but I could be wrong. Uh, Martin Furwell, but... um, yeah, not not quite sure, but yeah, it certainly uh, captured some imaginations, and and that's the way they're going to be look to be going in the future. I think with the Clash of Kings is supporting people who support them. So yes, um, yeah, I think that's a good a good move from them. Um, so just before we go, my shout out for well, other than Clash of Kings, you did a good job for me, Kent. So we're we're still selling tickets. I've got no reason to stop selling tickets, really. So if you jump on what is the new Kings of War Australia website, which is kingsofwaraustralia.com, you can see uh, links to the pack. Actually, even if you go to the old one, it'll still be there. Links to everything, tickets, the pack. I'm not really limited for space. And mm. uh, currently between, I took a took a delivery of mats where Nick and I bought 35 and oh, AG, wow. and, AG, and, um, AG and Jeff Holland bought 15. So I, I can go to 100 and not need to ask anyone for mats at the moment. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, I'd like to see a few more sign up. And then just for Australians, if you keep an eye out, particularly on the Kings of War Australia page, I'm, I'm putting it together now, but we'll be looking to start uh, our nationwide Mantic Slow Grow in February, I would say. And we yes. will probably run it the majority of the year. And I think given that we're going to be giving away quite a large voucher, what I'll be doing is there'll be ways to earn entries into it. And it'll be like a raffle at the end. So keep your eye out for the information on the slow grow, everyone. Um, Ken, congratulations again on being the 2022 Australian Master. You know, at, at, at least at least with someone else running it next year, that you don't have to be stuck personally in the middle of drama. Well, well that's well, it was funny too. I don't. A lot of people have asked me what what's happening next year, and like I, I've got no idea. I don't. I only saw the other day that it looks like I do get invited for having one. I, I wasn't sure if you were going to say the previous master gets invited starting next year. Just, just I think to, that would be. I mean, that would, I think that would be unfair. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I think that would be unfair. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I don't know where it is or when it is. But if you invite me, I'll, I'll definitely be there. And um, 
No, well, like you say, I think one thing to be considered, I've got to take this to the group now, as I seem to be the only one to push things forward, but is that maybe considering timing is always an issue with the Masters mm. um, and whether we rejig the timing of the season to allow it to be a little bit earlier so it's not pushing into December. I uh, mm. don't know, um, but that could be something. Yeah, I mean, December is, it's, it's elegant in it, you know, it finishes up the year and it's often the last event of the year and then off, off we go and prepare for Clash for the next year. But it's obviously a busy time of year for people too is, mm. you know, Christmas for families and, you know, mm. well, I mean, often war gamers don't have jobs and families, but <laughs> some of us do. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah I, I, I don't really know if there's a good answer and you're never going to get a date that's going to work for every 100% of people nah. too. So at some point you're just going to go, this is what works best. Um, but yes, that's a decision yeah. I don't have to make anymore. So I don't have to cop anybody's disappointment and <laughs> to to deal yeah. with those dramas and season. Well, that's the best thing for me about being coordinated too. I get to say it was everyone else's vote, so you can go stuff. Yeah, yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's responsibility. I guess the main thing I'd, I'd want to emphasize with that too, given that I suppose we talked about masters today, it's when I say it's not that hard to qualify. What I'm really saying, as we mentioned before. If you just go to events and you travel to one or two and you're consistent, you can get there. You don't have to go and crush all before you type stuff. And the more you play, the better you get. You play the best people, you learn so much. And so anybody, you might be brand new going to Clash this year for your first time ever. It doesn't mean that in the end of 12 months, you won't be there if you if you put the time in, the effort in, you travel a bit. So yeah, that, that's really what the Masters was designed to do, to get people travelling to events because there's that extra incentive to kind of get our numbers up and travelling around. Yeah, yeah. And, and and like I said earlier, I, I think it's about representing, you know, I don't, I don't think they're mutually exclusive at all, but there are, you know, groups that prefer different ways that the hobbies, hobbies played in some ways and I think we've just got to represent everyone. So. Yep. You know, that's, that's the point of, of having something like it. Right. And, well, yeah. Yep. Thanks no, for joining us, Ken. No, yep. my pleasure. Thank you for having um, me. And enjoy your year of glory and your, your trip <laughs> to the States. And we'll, we'll, we'll see you in a few weeks. So if, if you push this date back, does that mean I can stay the master for like 18 months to two years? <laughs> no. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That won't be a decision for me. <laughs> well, that's right. It's not your decision. Yeah. Uh, all right, listeners. Uh, welcome to 2023. Uh, and until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 